David Lewis would wake up on Super Bowl Sunday to an empty house. He would pop a tape into his TV and begin to record the football game that was streaming. Then he would start the dryer, possibly make two sandwiches, and then leave home. We are unsure as to where David intended to go that day, but we do know somehow he ended up states away in a morgue as a John Doe. Hey guys, and welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and how's everybody's week's been? My entire computer crashed. Um, I lost a whole bunch of work, and that's why I've been MIA. I've been trying to get everything back under control and fixed, and I think I do now, but I am severely behind now. Um, Because of that, we are only going to do Sunday uploads for February, Um, I am going to record and prep Friday uploads to start back up in March, but because I lost literally everything, or yeah, I'm probably going to need some time to catch up. Sorry. Um, now that everything is fixed though, you should hear from me every Sunday this month. Um, this is one great way to start off 2023, right? But you know, We're here for it, and we're going to get through it together, and yeah, I'm sorry about being MIA. Um, I don't really have a lot of people following me on my Instagram or any of my other socials, so that's why I didn't really post anything. Sorry. Um, You know, if I get more followers and stuff, I'll definitely post updates there. Otherwise, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys know when I upload new episodes. Anyways, besides that, my week's been pretty normal. Um, Everybody got over their colds while we tried to fix my computer. And yeah, it's just been kind of slow and normal and a little bit stressful because everything was gone. But yeah, hopefully your 2023 has been going better and it's not like mine and you didn't lose everything that you like worked on. That is also why I do not have an episode up with Ray yet. We lost everything. Um, I have some things written out to do with her, but everything that we worked on was just gone. So me and her are going to get back together. Our schedules don't match up very well. And that's why we sort of have to record with all of the children or, you know, a couple episodes, you know, in one day. So we're trying to pick a day that's going to work for us to get, you know, Wednesday's upload up. But, you know... Stay tuned, that will be here soon. That's going to be our first Norse mythology episode, and yeah, I'm excited to get that out for you guys. It's just, you know, we're literally starting from square one. Normally, I have a month, you know, in advance so that, you know, if shit hits the fan, we're all right, but not right now. Anyways, besides that, like I said, everything's normal here. Hopefully your 2023 is going better. And today we're going to talk about David Lewis. Now, interestingly enough, when I first started researching David Lewis, I put him in a lost and looking category. Everywhere sort of points towards like him not ever being found, but that's not true. As I did more of my own research, I realized that he fits more into the uncovering the unsolved kind of an unsolved mystery it 
it's not an unsolved murder per se. I mean, it's possible it is. We don't really know with David Lewis. He doesn't fit in the Lost and Looking, though, because we found him, and so that's why he is in the Uncovering the Unsolved category. Before we go too much into the story of what happened to David, let's talk about his past a little bit. David was born on December 11th, 1953 in Texas. He would attend school for law, get his degree, and finally begin working in that field. During this time, he would meet and marry a woman named Karen. Everything was pretty normal for the two of them. And if you didn't know, a lot of people who work in laws, whether that be judges or lawyers or really anybody who works in that like attorney category, they get a lot of threats. David was just like everybody else. He had a long list of enemies and people who did not like him. Even though he'd gotten the occasional threat here and there recently, when he was about 39 years old and married to Karen, he had begun getting a lot of threats, like more than normal. Most of these though seemed empty and both of them just sort of let these threats roll off of their shoulders. Um, they did also have a nine-year-old daughter and they really didn't want to worry her with any of it, so they didn't really change the way they were living. It sounds as though Karen and the daughter would leave and go shopping from time to time together, sort of a mother-daughter time. And even though David had gotten an increase in these threats, Karen decided that her and her nine-year-old were going to travel to Dallas on January 28th to go shopping. Because they traveled to do this shopping trip, it would last a couple of days. They left David alive and well on the 28th and would return home to an empty house on the 31st. This apparently didn't raise any red flags. They oftentimes went out and David wasn't home when they came home, it sounds like. Um, she did discover that his wedding ring had been taken off and was sitting on the counter. Now, you guys, I wouldn't read too much into this fact. It's possible that David didn't wear his wedding ring very often. My husband and I don't wear ours, like, at all. Sometimes when we're going to parties, we'll put them on. If we're going on a date, we'll put them on. But having them on all the time for both of us is uncomfortable. They catch on everything. In his line of work, it literally could rip his whole finger off. And so we just don't wear ours. And it's entirely possible that these two were very similar. So she didn't get any weird feelings from seeing it. It didn't raise any red flags. And like I said, David probably didn't wear it all the time. She would then discover that there was a tape inserted and was recording the football game, like we talked about in the beginning. He intended to watch the game. At least that's what this pointed to. It pointed towards the fact that he was busy that day, that the game was on, and he had recorded it so he could come back and watch it at a later date. Either that or, in Karen's mind, she believed that he had left to go and watch the football game with his friends and was recording it so that he could come home and rewatch it alone. Because of this fact and this idea at least, Karen and her nine-year-old daughter 
would settle back into being home in the empty house, eat dinner, and then just go to bed that night, waiting for David to come home. Remember, they were under the impression that he was out with friends. It's possible he would have been out all night, but David knew that they were coming back that day, so he was going to for sure be home. When they woke up on February 1st, though, David was still nowhere to be seen. At this point, Karen would contact the authorities. It doesn't matter who David was out with that day. He would have come home that night. He knew they were coming home and he has never ever done that before. When the authorities arrived, they did see that the tape was inserted and they looked into it a little more. This tape was definitely inserted at the very beginning of the game. They also began to question neighbors and everybody in the neighborhood and would get the last official sighting of David. January 30th, the neighbors saw him. This would have been only two days after Karen and her daughter or their daughter would leave on that shopping trip and one day before they arrived home. His vehicle was nowhere to be seen in the driveway or around, you know, their block. So they began looking for that, hoping that maybe David was in there. Maybe he did get too drunk watching the game and he was sleeping it off. And they did find his vehicle parked at a pottery barn, empty. They found his car keys in the vehicle, as well as house keys. These weren't just out in the open, you guys. They found these hidden under the floor mat. It does sound like David left things like this in his vehicle often. He would leave money, credit cards, checks, keys, anything of value in the car. And when he did, he would always hide it. Pointing towards the fact that it indeed was David who parked the vehicle and hid his home keys and his car keys under the floor mat. They also did find, you know, his credit cards, his checks, everything that David would need with him to do anything in the vehicle. They also confirmed that nothing was missing from the home, meaning that David did not take anything with him that day, not even his wedding ring. All of this pointed towards the fact, at least to authorities and the family, that David intended on coming home. But he didn't. The authorities at this point definitely felt like foul play was involved. They felt like somebody was out to get David and they had succeeded. And then they discovered plane tickets bought in David's name. One of these plane tickets was from Dallas to Amarillo on January 31st. There was also a second plane ticket from Los Angeles to Dallas, which was bought on February 1st. Because of these plane tickets, the authorities shifted their beliefs. They believed that David Lewis had left the home that day on his own accord, bought plane tickets to leave. And because he is an adult, he is legally allowed to do this. David does not need to stay with family. And if David decided to leave on his own, the authorities cannot bring him home. So they just kind of stopped. They didn't stop fully, but they loosened their reins on this case. They took it slow, day by day. They believed David would come home if he wanted to and that he wanted to disappear himself. To really solidify this belief, they had some witnesses come forward. 
These witnesses would state that they did see him at the airport, but he had no luggage. Some other witnesses, though, came forward and said he looked like a mess. He was tense and stressed out and, once again, had no luggage. They knew this, though. They knew that David took nothing from the house. People will disappear without taking anything, so even though it was weird that he was at an airport with no luggage, it didn't shift their belief again. Then they found out that somebody had deposited $5,000 into David's bank account, and it does not sound like this money was touched. And you guys, that is where this case sat for a very, very long time. The authorities believed that David Lewis had left on his own and was now creating a new life. The family David left behind was stressed and they believed some foul play was involved, but nobody, at least the authorities, would listen to them. And they just left it as an unsolved disappearance. And finally, a man named Pat Diddler, I think is how you say his name, decided that it was time to break this case. Time to figure out where David left and if he was still alive or not. And you guys, Pat's not, he's not a, an authority figure, really. He's, he's not a detective. He's fairly normal. All Pat did was take the weight and the height of David and put it into Google. Once that was in and he searched it, Google pulled up a list of unidentified people that fit that height and weight. And Pat just began going down the list, crossing them off. Couldn't be this guy. He, for example, had a different color hair. Couldn't be this guy. He was, you know, went missing before David did until he had one man left. This man, this John Doe, was wearing a camouflage-style clothing paired with work boots. The face of this man looked eerily similar to David's. He decided, Pat decided, to pull up David's missing person report and noted that the clothing found on John Doe, that camouflaged work boots clothing, were the exact clothing that David was seen by neighbors wearing the night he went missing. The thing that was holding him up, though, was that John Doe did not have glasses. David's missing person report specifically stated that he was wearing a pair of pretty distinguishable glasses. As Pat did a little more reading, he discovered that John Doe had a pair of glasses in his pocket. This solidified the fact to him. Pat was convinced that he had found David. David was a John Doe that was involved in a hit and run in Washington. And if this wasn't enough for Pat, which I mean, it really was, he also discovered that John Doe was reported as getting hit and killed on February 1st, 1993, the same day that David Lewis would have been reported officially missing. 
because if you think about it, he purchased a plane ticket February 1st, 1993. Pat gathered everything that he found. He probably honestly wrote it all down, all of the little tiny details that matched up and he informed the authorities. The authorities looked at what Pat had done and took it pretty seriously. Everything looked to match. Pat looked to be right. They would get in contact with the people who had John Doe and they would get their hands on his DNA. Once they had the DNA of John Doe, they would contact David's mother and inform her that they needed a sample because they might have finally found David. She happily obliged. And a few weeks later, they had the results. Pat was right. The John Doe of Washington was David Lewis. And even though this gave the family some closure, this just raised more questions. Most of the time, all you need to solve a John Doe case or a Jane Doe case is the victim's name. But that didn't happen. Even though they had David, this case was ice cold. The only information they had was that on February 1st, he was found dead by a motorist who had driven past him. This motorist had driven past him at about 10.30 while he was alive and walking down the road. Because he was walking down the road, they would turn around to see if he needed help and to turn on their flashers and warn other motorists to slow down and watch out. But when they turned around and drove up to him, they would discover that they were too late. This unknown man, who was David, had been hit and killed. He was dead and laying in the road. They contacted the authorities, but nobody knew who had hit him. Why? If it was an accident, if it was on purpose, the only information that they had was that it was a Chevy Camaro leaving the scene. They believe that this vehicle was involved, but they cannot confirm if it was the one that hit and killed him. They did confirm that David was not under the influence of drugs or alcohol when he got hit and killed. David was completely in his right mind. Now, David had no connections to Washington. He didn't know anybody there. He did not have friends or family. On top of that, David had also never even been to Washington before. So why was he there? I'm going to bring you back to what I said at the very, very beginning in the opening. They discovered two sandwiches that day. It is possible that David was starving that day made himself food and never ate it. It's possible that maybe he was having an affair. Maybe he jumped states to be with somebody and there was an accident or they killed him. But if this was the case, wouldn't you think that David would be seen walking down the road with the significant other? Unless the significant other was driving the vehicle, but then where was David walking to? Could his paranoia have taken over him? And he was really worried that somebody was coming after him? It's possible that David jumped on a plane 
and got another plane ticket in an attempt to lose someone, to shake someone off of his tail. Somebody who wasn't actually there. And he was walking down the road and got hit. Or could they have actually been there? And David didn't shake them. And they hit him. I recently had an experience with somebody very dear to me that had a manic break. Um, it's possible that David had some sort of manic break. This person that's very close to me, I was very much involved with, you know, everything going on. Um, they weren't really themselves. They were convinced a lot of things were after them and coming after them to get them. They were convinced that they had to run and leave. They even convinced themselves that if they took their own life, they would be reborn and okay. Now, all of this is because they had a manic break. Could David have had a manic break? Could he have bought the plane tickets to run from something or someone because of a manic break? And that could explain why he was walking down the middle of the road and got hit. Maybe he got hit by somebody who didn't even know they hit someone. I also know, I guess I know of, a person who that happened to. They were driving late at night and fell asleep at the wheel and hit someone. They didn't know it till the next morning when they woke up and they heard the news and it sounded like their vehicle. They went out and looked at their car and noticed that there was dents and the person that they hit was fine, but they didn't even know. They went and turned themselves in and like, it's possible that maybe somebody hit him that didn't know they hit him. Or maybe they hit him and got scared and left. Was it just an accident? Or did somebody hit him? We have no ideas as to why David left that day. We have no idea as to why he got on a plane. Why he chose Washington. And what happened. Was it possible that it was just an accidental hit and run? Or was somebody following David? And did somebody hit him on purpose? There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.